Well, good morning to you. I hope you're doing well this morning. We're going we're gonna to play a little game this morning. Kids, don't get too excited. You're probably not going to win. But, uh, <laughs> but I want you to think about how many hours of sleep you got last night. If you got more, I'm not sure which spectrum I want to win. Hold on. Let me think about this. If you got more than nine hours of sleep last night, raise your hand. More than nine. More than nine. Okay, how about eight? Eight hours of sleep. Okay. Seven. Seven? Seven-ish? I don't even know what we got. We got like what, four? Six? I don't know. Five? Five hours of sleep? More than five hours of sleep last night? Or five hours sleep-ish? How about four? Anybody went with four hours sleep? Anybody? John Garner? Good. Doesn't surprise me a bit. Uh, three? Anybody with three? Ella Claire, okay. All right, my buddy Knox. Two? Two hours of sleep. Miles back there? Two? How about one? Did anybody get one hour of sleep last night? Wait, 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 wait. Some people raised their hands multiple times. Hold on, hold on. Well, if that's true, if you got one hour of sleep last night, let me applaud you for being here this morning. You are a, uh, a hero. There's, a co- there's some coffee out in the lobby if you need it. If you are over the age of 18, you're more than welcome to that. Uh, otherwise, you have to ask your parents, okay? Y'all, it is, it is incredibly hard to believe that we have actually hit the 2023 year. Uh, I know it doesn't feel like it should be the first day of 2023, and yet it is. And as Aaron mentioned earlier in the intro, we find ourselves in that time of year again where uh, there's a newness of life, right? We kind of, we kind of have this area in our lives, this, these aspirations, these goals, these hopes that we may set for ourselves and maybe for our family as we approach the new year. Uh, maybe some of our goals are to save more money this year. Maybe it's time to, you know, get back on that exercise routine or get back on that dietary plan that you've got going on that you've been putting off. Maybe you got in your mind to go back and finish that degree. That's certainly what I'm trying to do this year. Maybe you got in your mind to, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm really going to meet the love of my life this year. Now, if you're seven or eight and you're, that's what you thought, you need, to, you need to settle down a little bit. But, you know, it's a reasonable goal for, I guess, someone who's an adult, and uh, there's some other prerequisites there. I'm not going to get into all that. And I, and I believe it is fair to say that uh, many of us will aspire towards growing in our walks with Christ. You know, maybe we'll resolve to read the Bible in its entirety this year. Maybe we will resolve to spend more time in prayer. Maybe we'll resolve to share the gospel at least once a week. And certainly there is nothing wrong with having these goals and aspirations, these hopes, these dreams. I find it to be a noble thing when we look ahead towards the future and and set a goal that we'd like to see accomplished, knowing that we're not the ones who hold the future in our hands, God is, knowing that he could change it on any given purpose, and and we need to be uh, flexible to change with that. But if you're anything like me, and I really hope you're not like me, by the way, if you're anything like me, you set the goal, And a few weeks later, maybe months for those of you whose will is stronger than mine, the goal you set, the aspirations you had for the new year, these hopes and dreams, uh, if I could put it gently, they are set aside. And I have a theory for why this happens, at least in my own life. It's because my hopes, my dreams, my goals, my aspirations, the things I long to desire to do in 2023, they're not really priorities. Yeah, It would be cool, and this has been on my list before, 
to learn and speak a new language this year. But I don't, have, I don't want to put in the time or the effort to actually sit down and learn a new language. Yeah, it would be cool to have, you know, six-pack abs. I, part of me wants to say again, but let's be honest, <laughs> you know. Or maybe arms like as thick as uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson's, right? Dude's got arms as big as my legs, maybe bigger. But I don't, but I don't want to have to go through the dietary and exercise regimen to accomplish that feat, right? Yeah, it would be cool to read 100 books this year, but I don't want to have to sacrifice TV time or, or disc golf time for that. Uh, yeah, it would be cool to save more money, but let's be honest, when you're cruising through Target or Between the Pines or just scrolling through Amazon, you see that next shiny new thing that you really just need. I mean, you absolutely need it. It's hard for me to deny that thing, right? Especially if I can justify it as, well, this is for the kids, you know, this isn't really for me, right? See, the, those aspirations, these hopes, these dreams, these goals, they're not always priorities in my life. Therefore, they don't get accomplished. They don't get seen through. I don't set forth the discipline that's required to see them through. See, the key to priorities is knowing what is important to you because what is important to you is going to take up your time, your resources, your relationships, your life. It will be reflected in who you are. So in order to have the discipline to accomplish a goal or a task, then it must first become a priority. Some things are going to have to be sacrificed to make it happen. And if I may, I would like to put forth to you the utmost priority for your life as a believer in Christ. To know Jesus more deeply daily and to make Him known. To know Jesus more deeply daily and to make Him known. This morning we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 4. So if you have your Bible there, you can go ahead and open it up to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Go ahead and get mine there as well. And let me preface our sermon this morning with this. My, my only hesitation with preaching a more action-oriented sermon is that I don't want you to walk away thinking it's all on me to see these things accomplished. Because the truth be told if you are going to have a deeper walk with Christ, then you have to actually rely upon the Spirit of God who lives within you as a believer to see it accomplished. You will not accidentally fall into a more deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to rely and walk according to the Spirit. And we are, I will just gently remind you this morning, that we are brought into relationship with Christ first by His grace and His love towards us. So this morning, don't walk away thinking it's all on you. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. It will be on the screen to my left and to my right. Read along with me. Paul writes to Timothy, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Some of y'all chuckled. That's really there, I promise. On the other hand, 
discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you thanking you for who you are, thanking you for the revelation of your word to us, thanking you that you reign supreme, Lord, that you are on the throne, that you are worthy of our lives and our worship, everything about us, Lord, you are worthy of it. Lord, during these, just these really, these short few moments we have together this morning, I pray, God, that you would be honored and glorified. I pray that you would be made known in this place today. And Lord, even as we look and reflect upon what our lives look like, Lord, I pray that you would be the captain, the director, the steer of that conversation, that you would be the convictor and the drawer, and Lord, that you would have your way in this place, as you always do. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us through the cross, and it's in his name. Amen. And amen. We need to remember just a few things about Timothy this morning that will be uh, crucial to the message as we go forward. First Timothy is, of course, written by the Apostle Paul to a pastor in Ephesus whose name is Timothy. Timothy is very much like a spiritual a protege to Paul. He's a spiritual son to Paul in many ways. And so Paul primarily writes this letter to encourage Timothy in his ministry there in Ephesus, but also uh, to give instructions on how the church ought to conduct itself. It is interesting to note, especially about 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, uh, how important Timothy's personal life is to the ministry in which he is called. There is no separating the personal life of the Christian and the ministry in which they are called to serve. There is no separating it. And so Paul, knowing that, is going to call Timothy to discipline himself for godliness, while at the same time rejecting the worldly myths, more on those later, of his day and age. So this morning we will see three distinct points. So if you like to take notes, you may want to write this first one down. The first point for this morning is this, the godly person knows and points others to the Bible. The godly person knows and points others to the Bible. Verse 6 says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Again, Paul is speaking to Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus. Timothy's task in Ephesus is to shepherd the church and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's reference to these things that Timothy has been called to, uh, to preach can simply be categorized as what is considered proper and sound doctrine. In the Roman-owned city of Ephesus, at the time of the letter of 1 Timothy, we see a city of approximately 250,000 people, and it is a trading commercial hub, and it is home to up to 50, you heard it right, 50 different religions and cults of the day, with the most prominent in the city being the worship of the goddess Artemis, 
as well as imperial cult worship. Uh, Gnosticism was also a growing religious movement. This is not the Gnosticism of later centuries, but kind of a pre-Gnosticism, I would think it is. If you know more about that, feel free to let me know after the sermon. I'd appreciate that. But And of course, not only do you have the worship of all these different gods and goddesses, you also have a presence of uh, Jews who lived in Ephesus as well. Apparently, living in a religious melting pot like Ephesus would be a source of issue for the Christians who lived in the city. And so this is where Timothy comes in as a pastor of Ephesus to help combat the false religious teachings of the various cults and movements that were present in Ephesus. Paul calls attention to some of these in the first chapter regarding the law, as well as the fourth chapter regarding deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, which, quote, forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Which brings us back to the main point. The godly person knows and points others to the Bible. So there Timothy is in Ephesus. Idols and false teachers abound. And Paul encourages him to remain true to the faith and to teach what is proper to the believers. And by doing so, Paul says, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Y'all, I think one proper resolution we ought to have this year is to be considered to strive towards being a good servant of Christ Jesus. We ought to resolve to strive towards godliness with our lives. This person, he says in verse 6, is constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine. And, And the question is then, what is the source of the words of faith and sound doctrine? The Bible. In Timothy's time period, it would have been the Old Testament, the handed down gospel of Jesus Christ from the apostles to Timothy. And our uh, eyewitnesses of the gospel accounts, by the way, today we have those same eyewitness accounts and letters compiled, translated, and given to us in the form of our Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16-17 through 17 say that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. Matthew 24.35 said, Jesus himself said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12-13 For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged or double-edged sword. Penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And finally, Psalm 119, verse 105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I implore you, Christian, that this be the year you spend more time in the Bible reading, remembering, and applying it than you ever have in years prior. Jesus did say in Matthew 4.4, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And not only that, that this would be the year you spend more time in the Bible than any other year prior, but that this would be the year you spend more time pointing others to the Bible than ever before. 
share the gospel of Christ with them. Put a small New Testament in their hands. Give those study Bibles as gifts to your children and your grandchildren. Share that scripture on social media. Saturate your walls and your refrigerator at home with scripture. Let it be the first thing you look at on your phone in the morning and let it be the last thing you look at as you go to sleep at night. Read it and pray it over your children. Read it with and for your spouse. Know it and make it known. Southern Baptist Christians are known to be people of the book. You know why that is? Because Southern Baptists are categorized as people whose lives revolve around the Scriptures. We know it, we apply it, we live it. It is our source of strength and nourishment. And I would dare say that when we know the Bible, we are far less inclined to go astray into error and heresy. I used to tell students in previous youth groups that by simply prioritizing the knowing of God's Word, you can easily identify deceptive ideas that are presented by the world to you. So the godly person knows and points people to the Bible, to the truth of the Bible. Secondly, if you're looking for a note to take, the godly person rejects the deceptions of the world, training themselves for godliness. Verse 7. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. In the pursuit of knowing and pointing others to the truth of the Bible, the godly person also wants to be able to reject the falsehood or the deceptions that the world would offer them. The best way to combat falsehood is to understand and to be able to communicate truth. The reference here to worldly fables fit only for old women seems to be a reference to a certain women, especially uh, specifically widows that are mentioned in chapter 5 of that time, who would have nothing better to do than sit around and gossip and concern themselves with things that do not truly matter. Uh, back, when, uh, back when telephone lines were a thing, I had an old pastor friend of mine who used to say whenever there was the latest piece of gossip going on at the church, they would have to go in and replace the telephone lines because all the widows of the church would start burning them up, gossiping and talking about it. Now we, you know, we're all wireless now, right? I'm sure there's still some phone lines out there. But the idea here is that they are wasting their time with ridiculous pieces of gossip and slandering. The worldly fables here is probably a reference to the cultic environment in which Timothy pastored, as well as the creeping in of Judaizers within the church itself. This command to have nothing to do with such fables would have been seen primarily in, one, what Timothy taught as a pastor of the church, and two, how Timothy lived as a pastor of the church. What good does it do in pointing others to Jesus if how you live is a contradiction to the message? Could you imagine the effect it would have had on the Ephesian congregation for Timothy to stand before them and preach that faith in Christ is the only way to heaven, only for him to turn around and go offer sacrifices at the temple of Artemis? And before you start with me on the freedom in Christ conversation, you better reconcile with the fact that Jesus did not save you so you could continue in your sin. Jesus set you free from the bondage of sin so that you could live a life that is totally reflective of the freedom that you've been given in him as a part of the testimony of the gospel. In other words, he saved you to make him known. 
Timothy's calling to reject sin and the false religions of his day remains the same for us as well. We reject the manner of living in which the gospel of Christ is not revealed. The deceptions of the world are not ours to embrace, endorse, or exhort to others. Can I say that one more time for you? The deceptions of this world are not ours to embrace, endorse, or exhort to others. Paul calls Timothy then to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You cannot have the rejection of falsehood without the training for godliness. The two go hand in hand with one another. Once again, the best way to combat falsehood is to know the truth and to live it out. The public life and the private life of the person cannot be separated. What Timothy is to proclaim in public, he must exercise in private. What the pastor teaches from the pulpit in public, by the way, if you think I've been stepping on your toes, I'm about to stomp all over mine. What the pastor teaches from the pulpit in public, he must exercise in private. What the Christian confesses publicly, primarily that Christ is Lord and Savior, then they must exercise it privately. The ESV here literally translates this phrase, train yourself for godliness. Craig Evans said in his commentary, in Paul's charge, the moral end game is a practical godliness, which has the highest, or which was the highest spiritual virtue of his uh, Greek, or he uses the word Hellenistic, but Greek world. Can I just let that sit for a moment? The moral end game is a practical godliness. It's a daily godliness. It's a life that reflects Jesus Christ daily. And y'all, that sounds like not just a New Year's resolution to me, that sounds like the New Year's resolution to me. If there's anything that we ought to desire in our lives more so than any, anything else, it's that our lives reflect Christ daily, more so than any year prior. And if that's the goal, then there has to be a plan. There has to be a priority. You don't accidentally fall into godliness any more than you accidentally fall into six-pack abs. It's hard work, and it takes a reliance upon the Spirit of God who dwells within believers to make it happen. And if Timothy was called to do it in his day and age, then certainly we are expected of the same as well. We are not exempt from the pulpit to the pew. We have access to enough resources today to leave us without an excuse, by the way. We can, you can read the Bible all the way through. There are plans for a year, two years, and even three years. You can carve out a little extra time each day to spend time in prayer. You can make it a point to share the gospel with someone once a week. You can obey God by the power of His Spirit. And if it helps, and it should, you've got a whole church full of folks who are sitting around you who want nothing more than to help you do so. You've got a staff and a leadership team that wants nothing more than to help you follow Jesus daily. So the godly person knows and points people to the truth of the Bible, and the godly person rejects the deceptions of the world, training themselves for godliness, and finally, the godly person disciplines themselves for this present life and for the life to come. Verses 8 through 10. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things 
since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. I like how the NASB here translates Paul's words, because they are a relief to me. Bodily discipline is only of little profit. Y'all, maybe I'm not as bad off as I think I am. This is likely in reference to the athletes that made up the Colosseum circuits of Timothy's day. Uh, These athletes would dedicate their entire lives to mastering their body in order to win their competition, whether it be a race, whether it be a wrestling, uh, so on and so forth. But the question is that Paul poses, what promise does that hold for eternal life? What value does that contribute to your eternity? Can I, can I gently ask a question here? Do you think you're going to impress God with your four-minute mile? Or you think you're going to impress Him with your 300-pound bench lift? What value does that hold for eternity? Do you think God's going to look at your trim waistline or your thick bulging arms and think, man, yeah, that really makes them more saved. Yep. That really trains them for godliness. Yep. Listen, there is a little benefit there. And there is a, there is a call to be healthy and to proper our, steward our bodies properly. I'm not saying go pig out at McDonald's and Raising Cane's every single chance you get, right? But what I am saying is let's not sacrifice what is here for what is here. Let's not sacrifice what is going on in our souls for the sakes of our arms, our legs, our waistlines, our face, or whatever else may be the case. Don't spend so much time sculpting your arms and your legs and your body that you neglect the faith that you hold to. And listen, we can, we can take that and we can apply it anywhere in our lives, y'all. The reference to athletes was pertinent to Timothy's day. But let me just say this. Any hobby, any self-betterment obsession that distracts you from knowing and following Christ is probably not worth your time nor your effort. There is no eternal benefit in having a large bank account if your soul is bankrupt. Likewise, all the intelligence in the world can still lead you to an empty heart. Let's not trade, hear what I'm saying, Let's not trade that which is most important in our lives, our soul, for things that cannot, we cannot, we cannot carry into eternity with us. The first part of Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 say, But I say, this is Paul speaking, walk by the Spirit, And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I'm going to add in as a believer. 
Y'all, in Paul's next letter to Timothy, he's going to say something that I hope would resound within our hearts this morning. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You cannot say that Paul didn't live out what he taught Timothy. In 1 Timothy, he is exhorting him to godliness in order to finish the race well. In 2 Timothy, we see the life of Paul at an end, and he is crossing the finish line spent, poured out. As we wrap up this morning's sermon, I'd like to draw out one more point for us. You don't get 2 Timothy chapter 4, what we just read about Paul finishing the race, without 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you want to be used by God, and I, I think that no one in here is going, nah, I don't want to be used by God. Like, y'all are logical, reasonable people, right? We want to be used by God for His glory. If you want to be used by God, discipline yourself for godliness. You want to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant? Discipline yourself for godliness, rejecting the deceptive falsehoods of this world which are born out of demonic influence. When you cross that finish line, when you cross that finish line, cross that line spent for the glory of God. You know, uh, I didn't write this down, but I thought I would share it. There's been a lot of nights recently where we would, we would go to bed exhausted. And, and, you know, you can say, well, you have a newborn. Yeah, that's probably why you're exhausted. And that's probably part of the truth. But I was reminded of something last night as I, as I got into bed. And I was, as I was laying there going, man, I'm so tired. I was reminded of something that Matt Chandler said in one of his uh, sermon series. He said, men, and he's speaking primarily to men here, but it also fits to women as well, don't get me wrong. But he said, men, if you fall into bed exhausted because you have lived your life that day to the glory of God, then sleep well that day. Sleep well that night. That's something to think about. When we get to that finish line, y'all, when we draw our last breath, how do you want to get to that line? You want to get to that line spent for the glory of Christ? Or do you want to get to that line spent for yourself, spent for your bank account, spent for your hobbies, spent for your body, spent for anything else other than Jesus Christ? Paul exhorts Timothy to this and to teach his hearers this and wraps it up by giving the reason in which we discipline ourselves for godliness. Don't miss this. Because we have fixed our hope on the living God. In an Ephesian culture, imagine how much that stands out with the worship of Artemis, the worship of the imperial, uh, the, the emperor at the time, with all the different religious cults of their day, Paul clearly sets the living God, Yahweh, apart by saying, we fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Just a word on the, uh, the translation there, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. If we, if we take that at a surface level, we can 
kind of uh, fall into the thought that, oh, well, God is going to save everyone then. No, this is in the context of a Gentile congregation in which were previously excluded from the, the family of God. Like by Paul saying to Timothy, who is the Savior of all men, he is simply showing again that God has grafted the Gentiles, in which would have been the primary congregation of the Ephesian church, into his family. Which is why he says, especially of believers. The question begs, as you reflect this morning, as you think, where is your hope fixed? A good indicator of where your hope for eternity is fixed can perhaps be observed through your daily behavior. What does your life, your words, and your thoughts say about what you hope in? In saying this, maybe you realize that some things in your life are not what or where they ought to be. Today, before you leave this church, we're not going to have our uh, standard invitation today, so there's not going to be people waiting at the back door for you. But certainly, that does not mean you just get to walk out of here scot-free. If you would like to speak to us about what it means to follow and to know Christ, what it means to discipline yourself for godliness, and find me, find Aaron, find one of our pastoral interns, find one of our elders, find one of our deacons. I mean, find anybody who is a believer in Christ and they will love to lead you in those things in that manner. Please, wouldn't it be the best way to start off the new year, 2023, by coming to faith in Jesus Christ? So, the godly person knows and points people to the Bible. The godly person rejects the deceptions of this world, training themselves for godliness. And the godly person disciplines themselves for this present life and for the life to come. Will your new year begin with the resolution to follow and trust Jesus? As we move into our time of response, I want to pray with you. Pray for you. Pray, pray together. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for who you are. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the hard parts of the Bible. The ones that you use to mold us, to fold us, to shape us into who you desire us to be. And Lord, I pray that the, the sword, which is your Bible, Lord, would cut deeply today. Lord, that it would bring out conviction. Not even for those who listen, but also for myself. Lord, that if there be any part of my life which is not reflective of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that in your spirit, Lord, that you would help me to bring that to submission to you, to give it to you. Lord, I, that's my prayer for each person here as well. Lord, that we would be a church, a people, a community, a group, a gathering of people who love you and know you above all else. Lord, that this faith we proclaim and confess to have would not be merely something that gets us here on Sunday morning, but, Lord, that it would be something that, that urges us and moves us to share with others throughout the week. Lord, I pray that it would be something that influences and directs and shapes the way we speak to our, to our spouses, to our children, to our grandchildren, to our family, Lord, to our coworkers, to the people who we are around each and every single day. Lord, when they see us, once again, I pray that they would see Jesus. Because what good is my life if I just spend it for me? Lord, may we all hear.
from the, from the babies all the way up, Lord. May we all be spent for the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Knowing that it is in the cross that we find the forgiveness of our sins, the hope for eternal life, and Lord, the power to live a life that is holy and pleasing to you. Thank you again for him. Thank you again for what he's done for us on the cross. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.